Well, good morning to each of you. My name is Mike Daniels. It is not James Merritt. Our beloved pastor is at home right now, and I covet your prayers for those of you who are joining us online as well as those in the room. This past week, our beloved James Merritt uh, tweaked his back a little bit, and uh, he is okay, but uh, he has been undergoing uh, some treatment over the last several days, and uh, he's been taking some muscle relaxers, so uh, we've tried to get him on tape, but he is refusing any cameras or any audio recording devices. So, Doc, if you're listening, we hope that you feel better. So, this morning, I'm going to be opening the Word with you this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and begin turning to 1 Samuel chapter 12. We'll get there in just a few moments. But this morning, as we open the Word together, I'm reminded of something that happened in this last month. In fact, the late January, America was gripped by the unusual twists and turns of a news story so bizarre that it captured the attention of the entire city of Chicago, including the entirety of its police department. It garnered national attention from all of the network news. Politicians from around the country weighed in on the issue. And in fact, most of the general public, you and I, watched this with understanding and tried to simply watch as this story unfolded, but many of us could never completely make sense of it. You see, Jesse Smollett, an actor, an activist, a character on the award-winning Fox Network television show Empire, at this very moment is caught up in a tale so twisted that it, it defies even the most imaginative mind. So this morning, as we look and, and look over the events of the last couple of weeks, late January, America woke up with this news report that Smollett was attacked in a brutal hate crime near his Chicago apartment. Two masked men, as seen on surveillance cameras, were said to have used racial and homophobic slurs in an assault that sought and even sought to pour bleach on him, while at the same time placing a noose around his neck. The alleged attack was preceded one week before as a letter that was sent to his studio where he worked. And the tale continues that there was, that during the attack, this politically charged statements were made and alleged and, and further incited anger of the public. There was outrage and demands for swift justice. In every estimation, this was a horrible account of a senseless crime. The nation prayed for the actor's recovery, the attacker's capture, and justice to be served. However, this is where the tale began to unravel a good bit. The Chicago Police Department began to find inconsistencies in the story, uncovered material evidence that pointed to a different set of facts. And two brothers who were seen on the surveillance cameras were found and questioned. Instead of justice being sought for a brutal attack, this past week, Smollett was charged with making false charges to the police and making the whole incident up and paying these brothers to orchestrate this entire attack. Obviously, this story points, pastorally, it points to a man who is very confused with deep issues, certainly. 
and hopefully he will get the help that he needs. But this, this is going to set us in motion to simply look at the, what does the Bible say about some of these things in our culture, in our context. What do we do with some of these news reports that we see? A bizarre story for sure. In fact, this story brings us to the scripture text today and allows us to make the point this morning. I want you to see it. Your word and deed must align for you to honor the Lord. Your word, what you say, and your deed, how you act as you come together with what you say and what you do, they must come together and align in order for you to honor the Lord with your life this morning. Matthew, my son, as he was little, he used to always point out the car. He was like, Dad, is that person a Christian? Is that person a Christian? Hey, that person checking us out at the cashier, is that a Christian? And I would always invariably say, son, I don't know. I don't know for sure because no man can ever judge the heart of another man. However, the Bible tells us that you will know a tree by its fruit. In fact, Jesus was speaking to early believers about that very thing in Matthew chapter 7. I'm just going to give you a glimpse of it. It says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And then he goes on to give this picture. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Then he goes on and says, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not, not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So as we turn in our Bibles, as we turn in the story, and we look at this idea of 1 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to look at the background and realize there are a whole lot of similarities between what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7 and what we're going to read in 1 Samuel chapter 12 to the events of this last week or two. In fact, uh, to go ahead and turn in 1 Samuel chapter 12, you go to Genesis at the beginning of your Bible, turn nine books to the right, and you're right there. To give you some background, Samuel was a prophet. He was a priest. And in the Old Testament, sometimes all three offices, the judge came together. He was a prophet, he was a priest, and he was a judge. He ruled at a time when God's chosen people needed a leader who could be trusted, who could be counted on, and who could be worthy to be followed. And Samuel, to this point in his life, has led God's people well. He is a man who has been full of integrity. He has served the Lord since his youth. And perhaps you know the story. He was conceived in prayer to his mother, Hannah. He was given over to the Lord as an infant and worked for Eli, the priest, in the house of God. He is now old. At the end of his days, he has worked from the very early stages of his life. All the way through his life, he has served the Lord religiously and dutifully. He is now old, and he has served God well. Retirement looms and it is right around the corner. His days are numbered and he is, going to, he is going to serve out the rest of his days with integrity and on the past of what he has done well. Now, as we read the Bible in just a moment, we're gonna see a speech. In fact, this speech that Samuel is writing is at the pinnacle of his career, the pinnacle of his influence and impact. You see, the Bible in just a moment is going to say he is old and gray. 
But yet now what he does is he speaks and he brings this to the attention of the people and he says, hey, I want to use my full prophetic voice and I want to have one last speech. And what he does is he puts himself and the people of Israel, he puts the people, God's chosen people, he puts himself and the people on trial. And because he had had such a great impact on the nation, it was time to pass the torch. And he wanted to take this last opportunity to pave the way for the next generation. He teaches that your word and your deed must align if you are to honor the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, we're going to read through 5. It says this, And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. In that day, remember, the people had asked for a king. They said, we want a king like all the other nations. And would you come in and would you make us a king? In fact, that was not originally God's original plan. God says, I am your king. But the people clamored because they say all the warring nations, they had a king, they had a nation. And they had called for a king, and this is Samuel. And Samuel said to all of Israel, behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks. Remember, Samuel did this some years back, and now the king is crowned. He is ruling. He is reigning. The king is walking in their midst. They know him. They see him. They know that he has been faithful to the call of God upon his life, and he exercised God's will in that moment to exercise his authority to crown a king, and now that king is before them. And this king walks before you, and he says this, I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify. He puts himself on trial. Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. Verse 5. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven this morning, even as... We are opening the Bible without many of the modern technologies that we use week in and week out. I pray that, God, you would allow us simply to hear your word. Would you allow us simply to recognize what it is that you would have us to learn and to know? And we pray that, God, you would, at the end of this message, that you would ask us the question, how have our word and our deed aligned? I pray this morning that you would be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. When examining your life in, in contrast to your word and your deed, there are several things that I think you need to make, where, make sure that you are aware of. The first thing is this, the first point. Make sure your conduct is faultless. If you want your, uh, your word and your deed to align and you want to ultimately honor the Lord with your life, you must make sure your conduct is faultless. We see in the first five verses, we just read, we see that as his ministry comes to a close, Samuel is old and gray and he puts himself on trial to be scrutinized by his listeners. 
He points out that he has strived from the beginning to be as straight as an arrow. I think he does this in two different ways. He lives in such a way to be straight as an arrow before the people. What does he say here? This is not to say that he was perfect, but that he has strived to be a man of integrity, that his idea of living, he has sought to be above reproach in every way without suspicion of any fraud or any charges against him. In fact, if you go back to verse two, says this, he says, I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. He says, hey, listen, you know my life. You know my walk. You know my life. You, my, you know my family. You know my kids. He says, here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. And then he goes on to ask these questions one right after another. He said, whose ox have I taken? Which of you in this crowd here would say, you've taken my ox? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom in this room? You know me. I haven't moved around. I have been in here since the days of my youth. In fact, my mother prayed for me and I came as soon as I was able, as soon as I was weaned from her, I came and I have served in your presence for all these years. Whom I have defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? And then he says to the people, testify against me. This is my heart. If you will testify against me, I will make it right and I will restore it to you. Why? Because you are the people that I love. You are my people. You are the one that I have given my heart, the soul and my mind, my affections, my efforts. I have given them to you. Who in this room have I done wrong? And in fact, across the room, there was no one in the room that could say anything because they knew his actions. They knew his reputation. Anyone, someone point out a flaw, but yet there was no one. Why? Because his conduct was faultless before the people, but his conduct was also flawless before God. If you go back to verse three, it says this, here I am. He's telling all the people, here I am. Testify against me before the Lord, he says. Hey, listen, let me just get to this point. Let me get to the point where we'll get a little circle, a holy huddle, and let's just stick God in the middle. Because if you say something against me, God will either know or not. If, if I say something that's not true, may God be the one who judge, judges ultimately. He says, hey, listen, I have been faultless before you people, all of you, but more importantly, I've been faultless before God who knows all. He knows the deep, deep recesses of my heart. You see, it's easier for us to be faultless and do what's right externally in many cases. It's a lot easier to do that than to be faultless and right internally. Why? Because God knows us. God sees us. He is aware of our struggles. You see, and this is where a point, this is a point where many of us in this room today, you say, hey man, I don't really know that there is anybody, my neighbor or coworker, I'm not sure if anybody would have fault against me. But you know what? When it comes to God, God knows my thoughts. He knows my actions. He knows my activities. He knows my efforts. God sees all. In fact, Proverbs 5.21 says this, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. You see, God is intricately involved in your life. He is involved in the details of where you are, where you've been, what you are doing, and what you are thinking now. When you notice, 
And you, you must notice that when your words and your deeds are together, we have this unique awareness of God's presence. You know, uh, I, I just go back to my pastor. I love him. I think the world of him. This past week when he hurt his back, he, he said to me, I called him and uh, I, I, I kind of joked him a little bit, joked with him a little bit. And I said, hey, pastor, how you doing? And he goes, you know, Mike, and this is where he's so funny. You know, he's, he's, crafty, uh, he's, he's crafty and clever. He's quick on his feet. But this is what he said. And, and I took notice. He said, you know what, Mike? We talk about praising God in the great grandiose things that we see and we do. But you know what? I'm still praising God in the midst of this. Because I have my mind, I have my faculties, I have insurance, I have the possibility of going and seeing a doctor, I have a wife that's caring for me, I, I am breathing, I can still read my Bible, I can still pray to the heavens, I, you know, I'm still finding joy in the midst of this. He said, now I'm frustrated, but I'm still finding joy, and when we are having our word and our deed matched together, what happens is we have a presence of God in the midst of everything. We live knowing that God is active in the details we practice the presence of God. We recognize that our lives are played out before the Lord. And here's what's hard for many of us. is this idea that, you know what, I can fool the world, I can do things, and I can live an upright and just life, but when I have to compare my life and my conduct with, with the very thoughts that God has toward me, then I have to take a step back. When you live before the Lord, your activity changes. When you have this constant idea of the presence of the Lord in your life, your activities change, your marriage changes, your, your parenting changes. In fact, this morning, I'll tell you a funny little story. I have a Mac. For whatever reason, the formatting of my sermon was not printing out at home. I knew it printed out on a PC, and my son had stolen the PC. Not stolen, but he had commandeered. He had taken it up to his room, and so I said, hey, listen, I'm going to need that. And so this morning, I got up early, and I went to get it, and I was going to print it off using that because I knew the formatting worked. Well, when I got to it, guess what? He had deleted Word, the program I'd used to design the program. So here I am, I have a message, I have you gonna stare me in the face in a couple hours, and I have no message. It's on my computer, but I can't walk around with my computer up here. And I had to have a little pep talk with myself as I'm going to meet my son. Word, deed, word, deed, word, deed. What am I going to say that I'm going to have to apologize later, or the Lord is gonna convict me in the middle of the sermon when I'm looking out at you? And so I said, Lord, in this moment, I practiced the presence of the Lord. It wasn't easy, but it was something that because I had been grappling with this scripture, it was something that I just simply had to deal with. And when you look at this, it changes your parenting. It changes your attitude. When you practice the presence of the Lord, it changes your social media, your actions, your hobbies, your entertainment, the entertainment that amuses you. It changes your church involvement. It changes the idea that your actions and your reactions matter not just to people, but to the Lord. And Samuel, Samuel has lived his life before these people and the Lord, and he was found as faultless. And if your word and deed are to be aligned, make sure that your conduct is faultless. The second thing. Make sure the Lord is your focus. As you look through verses 6 through 11, we're not going to read it all. You're going to see a history lesson here. 
Samuel 6 through 11 gives us history lesson. He takes his listeners down memory lane and he says this, he gives these five illustrations to remind them of their past. And if you read the entire passage, you see Yahweh, the name of the covenant-keeping God. You see Yahweh delivering his people. You see Moses and Aaron and Jacob and the children of God. And you see a cycle of sin and repentance and deliverance that you see throughout the pages of the New, uh, Old Testament. And you see this idea that is commonplace for you and I. We see this idea of deliverance. We have peace with God. We see this, hey, listen, I got on stage with a manuscript and I didn't ruin my reputation at home. That is deliverance. The God was good to me this morning. But you know what? Then what happens is after deliverance, we fall, we take our eyes and our focus off God and we start to think about other things that may or may not in our minds be more important than God at the moment. We take our eyes, our focus off him and we begin to sin. Oppression sits in. In fact, in the Old Testament, a hostile enemy took over and conquered the land. And what did they do? They found out, how did I get here? Lord. And there's a crying out to the Lord, and we see the Lord delivering once again, only for the cycle to continue. Isn't that you and I? Isn't that the story that you and I have? We, we get a paycheck and we think, hey, this is great. We get a raise. This is great. Our kids do well. We get praise at work. Our children are on the path. We do well. Then what happens in our prosperity, in our successes in life, what happens? We turn our focus off of God and we place them on ourselves and our own deeds. And we see this cycle taking place of when we take our eyes off Jesus, when we take our eyes off the things of God, what happens? We fall into those same traps that they did early years ago in the Old Testament. People take their focus off God and put it on foreign idols of personal desire and lust, sex and greed, health and wealth. You see, when you look through the pages of Scripture, and this is what I love about the whole context of God's Word, Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes. He says that there's nothing new under the sun. There is nothing that you are facing today that they didn't face then. There is nothing new under the sun. Idol worship was common practice of the ungodly then and now. You see, we all have our idols even seen in the lives of God's people, we see these idols popping up when they, and then when I wrote when they, when I wrote here in my notes, when they, when people turn to idols, when I said they, then I thought, no, we've got people here. Some of us in this room are chasing after false idols. And then I put in parentheses, we. And this morning when I was going back over this again, I wrote and scratched that out and I said, when I. You see, you can't, you can't just point at everybody else's a tendency to run after the things of something other than God, we must look in the mirror and we must recognize that I am susceptible to the very things of human history, that when we take our focus off God, we are going to focus on something that does not please him and honor him. To keep our focus on the Lord, we must be anchored or tethered to the truth. Why? Because we cannot trust our own decisions, folks. I hate to tell you that, but the reality is in, the Gen in Genesis chapter three, the fall of man took place. And when the fall of man took place, from that point all the way through human history, we see that man cannot be trusting, he cannot trust himself to his own uh, actions and activities. Why? Because we are sinful creatures. 
And that is why we must be tethered and focused on the word of God and on God himself. The Bible says that our thoughts are not God's thoughts and our ways are not God's ways. We may stay focused on the Lord, tethered, connected to a lifeline, a guideline, a vital lifeline that helps us stay in the place where God is honored. Perhaps you've heard of uh, the term splunking. Splunking is a recreational pastime of exploring caves. Splay, uh, caving or splunking is the same term. And a splunker is an experienced cave explorer. Now think about this. When a caver, a, a splunker enters a cave and to navigate the deep recesses of the cave, he is going to go step by step into the cave. He's gonna see a tunnel over here. He's gonna see a cavern over here. He's gonna see a pathway or a passageway here. And he is going to have to make decisions. Okay, there's four options here. I'm gonna go in here. Then, you know what? When you get to the next cave, you're gonna say, hey, there are six options over there, deeper, darker, damp, you know, damp and down. And we gotta make a decision which one. Four or five of these decisions and a person can lose their way. And by the time that that splunker has made several choices, retreating the exact path in order to find your way out may prove difficult. But what an explorer does, what an experienced splunker does, is he will set a guideline back at the entrance of the cave. He will, he will tether it to a large rock. He will stake it in the ground and he will unspool this long, thin rope so that he has a tether back to the entrance of the cave. Why? Because when you are deep in a damp, cold, dark cave, you will lose your orientation, your direction, and which way is out. And at that moment, you can't trust your impulses. You can't trust your senses of what you think is the right decision. Because why? Your life defend, depends on you getting out. And likewise, the believer who seeks to have God's word and deed align, you must be tethered to the truth and never lose focus on the Lord, who is the lifeline for each of us. Your focus must always be tethered to the Lord. Why? Because our culture, our context, our life, our news flow that we have week in and week out is dark, it is cold, it is damp, and finding our way through it is difficult. Some of you may be this morning back in the recesses of a dark, damp, cold cave. You're in despair potentially anxious about your financial future. There's relational chaos going on somewhere in your family. Perhaps a job loss or overall dissatisfaction with life. And you may be asking the question this morning, how did I get here? And how do I get out of here? Believer in this room today, I would say I would encourage you to tug on your guideline, to tug on your lifeline, on that wire that is going to take you back to where you know the ground is sure and the footing is firm. Navigate your way back home using that guideline, your salvation as a start, your, the word of God that will point you to your own growth in Christ 
You see, the problem is that many people in this room, folks all in this, this, this region that claim to be Christians, you know what we've forgotten? We've forgotten to align our word and our deed with the word of God. And so what happens is we wander through life and we lose sight and perspective and we have lost our focus. So this morning, make your conduct faultless. Remain focused on the Lord. And the last thing is this. Make sure your witness is faithful. Make sure your witness is faithful. A major part of Samuel's life here was spent striving to lead people into a right relationship with God. That was what his calling on life was, that he was going to lead people in a right relationship with God. And he wanted his witness to be faithful. You see, they asked him to appoint a king, and while it wasn't God's perfect plan, God relented and said, Samuel, you can point uh, to Samuel and, and anoint him king. Look in verse 14 again. If you will fear this, so then what happens is he then gives this idea of this if-then statement. So I want you to, I want to read it, and then we're going to break it down. He says this. He says, if, if you will fear the Lord and serve him. Samuel has been faithful to the call of the people. He's been faithful to God. He has anointed this king, and now God is saying to him and the people, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if, you both, if, you, if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. This if-then statement. If this happens in chronological order, in the order in which I have placed it, then this will happen. Okay? We learn those in English grammar that if you have an if, you always need a comma and then a then. And whatever you have in the if, there has to be something that is a resultant of the if. If this happens, then this happens. This is what he has. Let's break it down. If you fear the Lord, this is this is something that is, is for us too today, cross point. This is for you and I, if we will fear the Lord, if we will serve him, if we will obey his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord. You see, this is a timeless appeal. If we'll fear the Lord, serve the Lord, obey his voice and not rebel, then both you and the king, Samuel, he says, Samuel, you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. He said, then, then he gives us equal and opposite. Here's the positive. If you do these positive things, then the Lord will reign. If you do this, but, verse 15, if, then he gives the contrast to it. If you do not or will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then if you don't, if you don't obey, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. And armed with this information, Look at the words. It says, if you do well, the Lord will be with you. If you don't obey and you digress from the very focus of God, then the God will be against you. And the, armed with this information, we see that I will bring you back to verse 16, the last verse here. And it says this, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. You, you be faithful. You have a faithful witness, even in the midst of a backache that is putting you down. You be faithful in the midst of this financial moment. Don't you start skimming off the top. 
Whatever is going through relationally, you give it over to the Lord and you allow your witness to be faithful. When your children, when you, when you, uh, when you sin in front of your children and as parents, there are times that we do many times, go and apologize and ask for their forgiveness. As much as your pride doesn't want you to, you allow your witness to be faithful you see, stand and see, and stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. It's this idea of active standing, expectant standing. Let me ask you the question this morning, church. Do you expect that the creator of the universe can still work in spite of your storm, in the spite of your deep recesses of the cave that you're in? Do you believe and have an expectant opportunity to say, God, I know you are able and I know you are willing according to your word. I desire to be obedient. I desire to follow you to the best of my ability. I am putting aside the things that take my focus off of you. I want to bring this full circle. Do your words and deeds align this morning? Do they align and are you honoring the Lord with your life? Matthew 7, Jesus said it, we mentioned it earlier. You'll know a tree by its fruit. Our word and deed are seen in how we live. If someone accused you of being a Christian this morning, is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of being guilty? Our pastor is in a series on mirror image. Has your past reflected the image of Christ? Has your present right now, this morning, reflected the image of Christ? It's always fun when people ride to church. The dynamics of family, of getting to church. This morning, has your life reflected the image of Christ? And then next, will your future reflect the image of Christ? As mentioned just a few moments ago, Jesse Smollett, at this very moment, finds himself in a mess. He is a wealthy, good-looking, talented young man. Yet his world is falling in around him. His word and his deed do not align. This morning, he's in the crosshairs of people on the left and people on the right. He is the key suspect in a scandalous and senseless made-up hate crime. And unlike Samuel, if these allegations are true, unlike Samuel, his conduct has not been faultless. His focus has not been on the Lord. His witness has not been faithful. And it reminds me of John chapter 8. Do you remember the story of John chapter 8? when we see that Jesus spoke with a woman who was caught red-handed in adultery. She was publicly scorned, shamed, and mocked. And yet Jesus, in the midst of this very public outcry, in his compassion, said to the accusers, in John chapter 8, verse 7, let him who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone at her. You see, this morning, many of us struggle with having our words match our deeds. And you know, I'd like to say that uh, it's just you or some of you. 
But when I point the finger at me, I realize I'm no different than the lady who is called in sin or this individual who is called in sin. You know why? Because the Lord knows my heart. The Lord knows that I am a man who struggles with sin just like you do. This morning I can see that Christ, he gave his life for us in the midst of a public outcry You see, I know that when I look on the pages of Scripture, I realize that I can proclaim Christ publicly, but my deeds at times don't always match with my mouth. For example, how many of us, how many of me, how often I speak of Christ, but how often have I spoke of him to other people? Many of us perhaps haven't opened our Bibles. We, we claim Christ publicly, but we haven't opened our Bibles and tugged on our lifeline in some time. Even when we're in the depths of our caves. We sit comfortably in this worship center without serving. Many of us, we haven't served in a very long time. Perhaps we say that we want God honoring children, but we haven't signed them up for the simplest thing of breakthrough. We haven't brought them to church on a Wednesday night, even though there are activities going on. We say that we want our kids to follow Christ, yet we show them that youth sports and the traveling team comes first. We worship corporately, but rarely privately at home. We haven't given anything close to a tithe. You know what happened when I started reading these? I'm like, God, (laughs) convict me because there are things in my life where I publicly proclaim, but the Lord knows my heart. Jesus said, Matthew 7, you will know a tree by its fruit. This morning, the pastor walks through this week in and week out, but Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. That's what Jesus claimed about himself. The perfect God-man who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, his conduct beyond anything Samuel could ever imagine was faultless. His witness was faithful, and his focus was squarely on the will of the Father. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He spoke it, he lived it, he died for you and me. And this morning, he provides a way. As our pastor does each week, this morning, there is bad news. There is bad news in this congregation. And the bad news is this, that we have all sinned and are separated from God. The Bible says all of us have sinned. All of us have turned aside from focusing on the God of the universe and we have turned toward foreign things. And the worst news is that because we've all sinned and the wages of sin is death, there's nothing we can do about it. In and of our own, we are lost deep and helpless inside that cave. We're sinful. Nothing we can do about it. But the good news this morning is that God sent his perfect son, Jesus, to be a perfect substitute for you and for me. And his name was Jesus. 
And Jesus, as I just said, he came to proclaim the greatness of his father who created everything and it was a testimony to his father. But he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I came not to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life so that you might have life. This morning, do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? See, the good news is that Jesus came. He provided a way. He became the perfect substitute for you and for me. And the best news is, this, this is a free gift that God, through his son Jesus, offers you today. That God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for your sins. And he did it in such a way that he did it at no cost to you. It cost him everything. It cost him his son. This morning, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But let me be clear. You can't continue doing the same things you're doing if you are radically saved by the creator. Why? Because your word and your deed will align if God will be praised and honored this morning. Would you bow your heads all across the room? If you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, forgive you of your sins, I pray this morning, just a moment that you will do that. In fact, you can pray something similar to this. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And quite frankly, I'm in the deep recesses of a cave. Forgive me now of my sins. By faith, I trust you. And I believe that you can save me. Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you cry out now? And it's by faith and faith alone. It's not a prayer. It's simply the attitude of your heart and your faith and your belief. And Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. And believer in this room, perhaps you just simply want to reach out and say, God, my word and my deed, I come and proclaim you, but my activities to my family, to my social media feed, they don't line up. In fact, my service to this church, my giving record, it does not identify what my public profession is. God, would you allow me even now to take the steps to correct what is wrong? Lord, all across this room, would you allow us to see your hand at work? Would you allow us to see your, your, your presence lived out as we live our lives. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. I pray, oh God, a special uh, prayer for these individuals who have simply given their hearts and lives to you this morning. Perhaps there's a man, woman, or child that simply, just simply needs to speak with them. Give them courage, God, and boldness this morning. And Father, even now, I pray for Doc, that you would heal his back, that he would be back at full speed this next week. That, God, we thank you for a servant of God who preaches the word of God faithfully week in and week out. And I pray that, God, you would work all things out for your good. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we close this morning, I just want to give you a couple quick things. On your way in, you received a worship guide. I want you to take that uh, worship guide, and I want you to just fill it out. I want you to just fill it out. And if you just made a decision for Christ, perhaps you prayed to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life for the very first time. Then what I want you to do is I want you to take that card and I want you simply just to check off that box that says, today I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the very first time. Perhaps if you say, hey, I've never been baptized. And I just quoted Romans 10, 9, which we use every time we baptize somebody. 
and we, we say, hey, listen, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never been biblically baptized, would you simply just check that box off? Perhaps you want a prayer request or something, start a new members class or, or, or starting point class. After this service is over, I want you to take this card and I want you to take it to the back and I want you simply to give it to our starting point volunteers at the back, okay? Now, as Riley's coming up, I wanna give you two quick announcements. Um, I'm gonna give you two quick things that uh, as we think about this, Riley, as you know, he and Alex are he heading up our student ministry. Um, get in your Bible. Get back to that tethered lifeline. Bruce mentioned it earlier. He said, hey, listen, me and my wife together are reading it. Maybe you can't read it together, but you can read it individually. It doesn't take long. Just get in the Bible. Get in the Bible. Second thing I would say, find a place of service. Find you a place to serve. There are places all over. And listen, I don't ever want to stand up here and say, woe is me, we don't have... Listen, if the people of God would just get a glimpse of the people that come in and out that just have the opportunity to serve in Christ's name, we will never run out of volunteers. So would you consider serving? And then I'm going to say this, and Riley's going to finish it up, but I'm going to say this, Riley and our team next weekend are going to have, host our Breakthrough Weekend. Breakthrough weekend is our weekend for our sixth graders all the way through 12th graders, right? And we're gonna have volunteers in homes. We're gonna have people that are serving. We're gonna have a ton of kids in here. I don't know the numbers. We're gonna have a ton of kids in here next weekend. And listen, we still have an opportunity for some volunteers. We still have an opportunity for some uh, host homes perhaps. And listen, we also have a lot of kids that haven't yet signed up. So would you consider taking that next step today that your public profession would then put into action of you getting some of these kids here this week? Riley, you come. Thank you, Mike. I don't know why I'm here now. He did everything I was gonna do. But um, no, isn't it great that even when our pastor's out, we have confidence to know that the word of God is faithfully preached. Would y'all just give it up for Mike and thank him today for opening the word? Thank you, Mike. And like Mike said, yes, we, have, we are hosting next weekend, um, starting Friday night, our Breakthrough Weekend. And it's a weekend of students from all across Gwinnett County and greater Atlanta area. We'll have about 1,400 middle school and high school students in our building Friday night and all day Saturday. If you, on the screen, some video clips going through. We've got Brent Crow coming to speak, a nationally renowned speaker from Student Life our Student Leadership University. We have Forever Free, a local Gwinnett band who's been playing all over the country in different youth conferences leading with us this weekend as well. And so if you have a student 6th through 12th grade or you have a neighbor that's in 6th and 12th grade or know someone that's in 6th through 12th grade, please, please sign them up. You can go to cpstudents.com to get more information to sign up. If money's a problem, email me. My email is rlester at crosspointchurch.com. Please email me. Money is never an issue. We'd love to have your students there. Also, one more thing. If you are new to Cross Point, I've been here for a little while. We have our starting point beginning next Sunday, March 3rd. You can go to crosspointchurch.com to get more information on that. But if you want to know what it means, when we say we, we exist to point people to Jesus and inspire them to live the cross-shaped life and do that through worship, disciple, serve, and send, if you want to know more about that and become more involved in our church, go to that, go to Connection Point and get more information, but sign up for Starting Point as well. But church, this is a great time to be a part of who we are. There's so much thing going on. We have Wednesday nights for students and kids. We have our small groups going week in and week out, home groups. God is doing so much in our midst. So I hope you're encouraged week in and week out by the opening of the word and the worshiping together and what God is doing in the life of our church. We love you guys. Cross Point Church, you are sent.